typically you're buying out investors because you want to participate in the upside to continue. And I just don't think that that's. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? Today is actually family day and uh, I, I think I've done Four podcasts today. <laughs> I try to cram them in, but it is so much fun. I really enjoy them quite a bit. Today's guest, I've interviewed Shane Melanson. He is a commercial developer in Calgary, Alberta. He's completed more than 65 million in real estate projects. He's helping clients as well sell more than a quarter of a billion dollars of commercial real estate. He's invested in projects across Canada and the Southwest US. This guy's amazing, has done a lot when it comes to real estate investing. He works from home, spends time with his wife, Kelly, and his three kids. And he's also the host of The Investing Advantage and author of Club Syndication. Wrote a book that's pretty cool. And how I've actually met Shane is through Jay Wong, who hosted a bit of a mastermind dinner and had a bunch of our podcasting people out there. And, uh, and I met Shane that way. Great guy. Super excited to have him on the show. And before we get into that, guys, thank you for those who have left a rating and review. I really, really appreciate that. It's awesome. And if you've sent me an email because maybe you had a question or a comment, I love getting those. Please continue to do so. That is amazing. So guys, I hope you enjoy today's podcast. If, if you have any questions at all, let me know. Thanks so much. Shane, welcome to the show. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Good. So I, I believe it was three months ago when we met in person, Jay Wong, a good friend of ours, had a mastermind where he invited other podcasters, but I think also some other people in real estate investing. And uh, that's where we met. So super excited to have you on the show. Yeah, yeah, no, that was uh, that was a fun night. I think I was the outsider from Calgary, and no, it was it was great to to meet everyone. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about today. Awesome. So, for those of you that may not know you, what is it that you do when it comes to real estate investing? I guess what what I focus on primarily is investing in commercial real estate. And so, what that really means is, you know, I've done industrial retail properties, I've done some apartment buildings. And I'll do ground up development. So I'll buy land and I'll actually construct the buildings or I'll buy kind of a property that needs some work to it. I started investing in residential real estate. And so I understand, you know, the, the buy and hold or the buy, fix and, and flip. And so essentially it's the same kind of model value add just applied to larger properties. Okay. So how did you make the leap from residential to commercial? Well, I was pretty fortunate. So I was at the city of Calgary in urban planning and the assessment, I got a job at Sun Life Financial doing commercial finance. And so that gave me exposure to what commercial real estate's all about. And there I met my first mentor and he, like, I remember going for lunch with him, Jim, and he, he essentially kind of showed me the world of commercial real estate because I was very myopic in terms of just understanding, okay, we meet with someone that's an investor and we lend them money and then they go off and do all these things. And then we see them five years later type of thing. And so he kind of opened my eyes to what was possible. And, but it wasn't until I actually met my, uh, my, she's now my wife at the time, obviously uh, she was my girlfriend. 
And she, her father was a big developer and commercial real estate uh, player here in Calgary. And so when he saw what I was doing in residential, he said, look, why don't you come on one of these business trips with me down? We went down to Houston and Palm Springs. And it was like, once I saw it, I couldn't go back to doing smaller deals because when you magnify and, and are able to kind of do seven and eight figure deals, it's, it was just a lot more exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So based on having done both, yeah. what is, you know, obviously it's, it's a completely different ballgame, but somebody that's wanting to get into commercial, commercial real estate investing, whether it's retail, whether it's multifamily commercial, what are some of the things that they should be aware of making that change? There's certainly a lot of things, right? I mean, it would be, so I've got a gentleman actually not, not far from where you're at right now. And he's kind of making that transition. He's bought probably half a dozen residential and now he's going into, he just showed me a mixed use. Like literally today at 930, we went through his deal. And it's good for me to kind of remember almost because once you've done something for long enough, and I know you coach real estate investors, once you've been in something long enough, you kind of forget almost what it's like to be brand new to something. And, uh, and I would say some of the big things are just understanding the game of commercial real estate. In residential, I would say brokers are probably a little bit more helpful in the sense that they're there to kind of guide you. Whereas in commercial real estate, there's usually one agent and they do, they essentially bridge the deal between a, a seller and a buyer. And so their job and the broker's job, because I was one, is very difficult, but they're really not there to kind of make sure you know what you're doing and you know what you're doing. They kind of expect people come with a certain level of sophistication. Obviously, the money is much bigger. It's typically commercial real estate is valued on net operating income. So the revenue versus residential, which is more a sales based, right? Comparables. In commercial real estate, two buildings side by side can have completely different value. The leases, the tenants, typically it takes much longer. You're 30 to 45 days in due diligence versus maybe two weeks in residential. I mean, I can, I can talk about anything that you wanted specifically, but uh, yeah, there's the differences for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean to say, I don't want to uh, discourage anyone. One of the reasons that, that I do what I do right now is be, I've seen a lot of people that want to transition into commercial real estate. And if they're, if they don't have the proper guidance, I think that they can, they, you know, if you make a mistake in residential, it can cost you in commercial, it can wipe you out. And so that's, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like there would be bigger rewards, but also higher risks with commercial. Absolutely. Just out of curiosity, because you've been in this for a while now and you've acquired different types of commercial real estate. The majority of what you buy, yes. where are you finding it? Uh, do you mean, do I find it off market or cities and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So is it from, I mean, I'm guessing it's off of MLS. Like at some point people know it's on MLS. Yeah. Now I will say this. Some of the people that I, I work with are actually finding deals on MLS, but okay. I don't think I've ever found a property on MLS. Right. Commercial real estate, like, so to your point, question earlier, commercial real estate is very relationship driven. And so the last probably three or four deals that I can remember just off the top of my head, all came to me direct from brokers. They were not even listed. So usually what happens is let's say a, an, an agent gets a listing or is having a conversation with someone that owns a property. And there's, there's kind of two different ways that it can happen. It can either be what's called a pocket listing where a broker will, will basically have a relationship with the seller. The seller says, if you bring me a buyer at this price, I'll sell it. So that would be a pocket listing. They don't have an official agreement, but once a buyer comes forward, then, then there'll be some paperwork that will kind of outline what the fees would be to the broker. The other way will be, it will be an official listing right? Just like you, like a, a typical real estate agent. The difference will be, they don't 
like in commercial real estate, CB Richard Ellis, Avis and Young, Cushman, Collier's, all the big shops, they're not part of MLS, at least from what, like my experience that they're not, so they don't, they don't post their listings there. It might be on LoopNet or some of these other commercial websites, but nine times out of 10, if it's a really good property, they've got a database of buyers that they will go to and you want to be at the very top of that list. And so for the brokers that deal with me, they know that I fit within a very small range, five to $15 million value add, Calgary, Edmonton, like this corridor, I'll do development land up to five acres, but, but like there's parameters that they know and they'll pick up the phone and say, Shane, I think this is for you. I'll look at it and it's like, send me the CA, which is a confidentiality agreement, sign it. They'll send me what's called the CIM or basically the complete package on it. And then you just start working on the deal. So I know that went fast, but that's, it doesn't come from MLS and I don't find them searching online. No, I mean, I always felt that like by the time it actually hits MLS, because when you look at the MLS results on anything commercial, like by the time you do all the calculations and look at the financials, the stuff that doesn't make sense, in my opinion, probably does end up on MLS because there's been 20 eyeballs of people that have more experience that have seen it that have probably rejected it. And so the the broker decides to put it on MLS maybe as a last resort. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now I will say this. If you're in kind of secondary markets, and so Toronto would be a primary, some people would consider Calgary a primary market, but like you start getting into even Hamilton, for example, or some of those kind of secondary markets around. Yeah, you'll probably see a lot more commercial real estate on MLS. And I wouldn't necessarily say that those are been picked over. I mean, the one that I looked at today was on MLS. And so I kind of have a prejudice. So I, I, I looked at it and I was like, oh, that, it's probably not a very good deal. And it is overpriced. However, there's a lot of value add. So so it could still be an option. But by the time this airs, you'll have made your decision because it'll be like mid-January. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, well, no, I'll, I'll follow up with you. It's not for me. It's for someone else. So Awesome. So you talked about the 5 to $15 million value add. Why that category? Why that range? Sure. There, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, I'll call them mom and pop. And none of this is meant to be condescending in any way. It's just, it's just the terminology that's used in commercial real estate. So mom and pop is kind of like smaller investors. They'll generally go up to kind of that $5 million range in my experience. Then you'll have institutional players that are in that 20 million plus because anything smaller and it's just, the reality is this, it takes the same amount of time to do a 5 million, 10 million, 1 million, $25 million deal. So they're better off to put their resources behind larger properties. For me, I want less competition. So there's less people that have a skill set to go out and raise $5 million if I'm doing a $15 million deal. And so knowing that, and it's, so if it's too small for the big guys and too big for the small guys, then there's only kind of a handful of people that they can really go to, if you will. So that plays into my favor. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, it, it completely makes sense. And you mentioned raise money because a lot of people are like, how do I go from residential into commercial? And like, probably you're not using all, all of your money and you've got to find investors to help you to be able to get something at that scale. So how does that work? Okay. So first of all, this does tie into the previous question and then I'll answer that. So just remind me if I get off track, but people that are looking to invest in commercial in larger deals, they actually prefer bigger deals, right? So I've done smaller ones, like two and $3 million deals. And the challenge is by the time you go out and raise money from investors, like they come in for 50 to a hundred thousand dollars. Now that might sound like a lot of money to other people, to some people, and maybe to other people, it sounds like very little, but if you're going to kind of a credited, sophisticated, high, high net worth individuals, they don't want to have their money into 
10 different deals. They would rather have it in a couple of really strong opportunities. And so A, it's easier to raise money in my experience in those kind of mid-sized deals. And then when you're going out to investors, track record, certainly. When I first started, people, I mean, I was fortunate. My father-in-law, right? He had the reputation and credibility. So I don't want to sit here and say that it, it was all on me. When I did residential, I had investors that came into my deals, but it was like probably a lot of what is taught broadly in residential, more JVs, right? Networking. And then that's how you- Yeah. Yeah. They might put it half the money and then we kind of split the profits, but in commercial, it's completely different. Like that structure would never fly. Generally, I would say if I'm raising money, I might give a pref or preferred return of anywhere from six to 10%, depending on the level of risk. And then there'll be a split on the back end meaning we may share on the profits 65-35, 70-30. Like it, there's no one way to do it. It's just track record, experience, how much risk is in the deal. All those things kind of come into play, if you will. But I also get a syndication fee. And so to your question, like I'm putting in maybe 10, between my partner and I will put in 10 to 20% of the equity for these deals. And then the balance we raise from investors. Okay. So that's interesting. Now, how many investors roughly, I guess it, it depends on how much money they have, but is there like a minimum where you're like, it doesn't make sense any less than that if that's what you have to be part of this deal? Yeah. I would say that I try, like, I like to invite people in and I want them to be able to participate. So I would say on the low end, it's probably, I know it's going to go public, but <laughs> like very few people come in for 50. I would say the majority are in for a hundred plus. Okay. And what I would also say is, uh, I think your question was how many? So in some of my deals where they're larger, maybe as many as 20 or 25 investors, because I've been with a lot of these individuals for 10 years now, and they've seen the successes and I've paid them a lot of money. It's not a real sales job. Like, of course, I put together proper presentations and some people like new investors, I sit down with them, but there's a lot that I'll just send text messages and say, Hey, I've got a new opportunity. Do you have 10 minutes? We can talk about it over the phone. Cause not everybody lives in Calgary, right? I mean, I've got people now calling me in Toronto and Winnipeg and Vancouver. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it's not always feasible to, uh, most investors don't even know what Zoom is that I deal with. So, so I wouldn't be doing this. It'd be a phone call at, at best or face-to-face. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm guessing that when you return their money, they probably want to reinvest it as well. They probably don't want to have it just sitting there either. Right. So you have another deal, they reinvest. Yeah. Like that's probably one of the biggest challenges is really finding, like, there's a couple of pillars, if you will, that I kind of call like the kind of a triangle, if you will. So finding deals is probably, that's probably the biggest skill that a person really needs to develop. Because if you don't have the, the skill to either identify or know what a good deal is, you could be, and I've seen this where you can be tremendous at raising money, but if you don't understand what a good deal is, you're raising money for crap deals and that's where people get burned. And I've seen that. And that's one of the reasons I try to educate so that people at least avoid flawed deals from the get go. And then the last piece, so, you know, finding deals, fixing deals, uh, or sorry, financing and then fixing. So those are kind of the three major pillars, if you will, there's lots that go into that, but. Absolutely. So now, now what's the exit strategy with these? Are you paying out the investors after a certain amount of time? And then are you just holding it or are you selling it or what's your, I mean, obviously I guess every deal is somewhat different, but just in general, maybe. Okay. So, so you, you asked a, a really good question there and I will, I like, I probably differ a lot from most investors, but I don't have any bio clauses in my limited partnership agreements where if an investor comes into my deal then we're in it together until the exit. And the reason for that is I just don't feel right 
what, what I've seen other investors do, and it's just not the way I do my, my business, but let's say they raise money, they add value, then in within the first five years, they have the ability to buy out. And I just feel that if, I mean, typically you're buying out investors because you want to participate in the upside to continue. And I just don't think that that's, personally, I wouldn't like that if I was on the LP side. So why would I ever do it as a GP? Some of the deals are very defined, right? When we did those industrial condos, I think when we met in Toronto, I had mentioned, so we did 37,000 square feet, small bay industrial condos. The plan was build it, sell it. We were out in 16 months, right? I'm doing this development right now, which is retail. And it will be more like, could be a five-year hold. It'll really depend or five to 10 years. And I've told that to the investors. I said, look, this is going to depend on a few different variables, quality of our tenants, debt we can get, where we are in the market cycle. So if, if someone comes along and offers us a five cap on it, which is a very aggressive price, we'll probably take it. Okay. So my investors, they uh, rightly or wrongly, they trust my judgment and they know that I'm looking out for them. So yeah, sometimes we can hold something like to flip out and do the next deal. So is it real? Like it must be really important then that your investors understand that if they need to pull out their money, they're not going to like, you're probably going wanting to make sure that these people, it is not their last hundred or $200,000, right? Yes, exactly. So that, okay. Now I remember there, there was a, there was something that you mentioned earlier in terms of how much people come into my deals for hundred percent. That is probably like, I turn away more investors that actually want to put money into my deals because I judge them just like they're judging me, right. Or assessing them to make sure they're a good fit because it is illiquid. And if I raise, say, let's just use a million dollars, for example, and some guy puts in 250000 and then he's going through a divorce or he's whatever, you know, he needs his money. Now, all of a sudden, I'm taking my eye off of developing this property and really making sure that it performs and focusing on how do I replace this guy, right? Because I'm doing deals constantly. And, and, uh, and so, I'm, like, they know when their money's in there, it's a liquid and that... I've never had anybody come to me and say, Shane, I need my money out. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself. And she works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A-lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, 
mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com, or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com, and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. And now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. That, may, that makes sense. I mean, obviously at your, your scale and the type of investment that you're doing, it's definitely important that they, uh, they know that they're in it for the long haul. I mean, do you raise money with or have partners on your deals? So I'm still in residential and because I've been burring, I've been able to recycle my money and I still have gotcha. to do that. But I am actually looking at potential development stuff and uh, with, with some friends. So we are going to be going that route. And yeah. We'll be raising money at some point just because it'll be a good new step into that commercial realm. Yeah, yeah. I think as long as they have the expectation, like proper expectations is so key, right? If you tell them it's going to be 18 months and then it's a five-year development, you can imagine that people will probably get a little bit frustrated, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. And brand reputation, like to me, that's like number one, like above and beyond money and anything else. You know, it takes a while to build and it takes a second to ruin. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So what, like, what is this money exactly? Is this like a registered RSPs, tax-free saving accounts, or is it like cash? So this is typically, the, none of it's RSP. I've spoken to securities. I've got a securities uh, a lawyer that I'm discussing. When you do RSPs, and I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an accountant. So whatever I'm saying right now is kind of second, third hand. But typically when you raise money through RSPs, in my understanding, it needs to come through an OM or an offering memorandum. And you'll likely also need what's called a a private placement uh, PPM or something like that. And uh, you need, I believe it's 150 people in order to have it RRSP eligible. And so my deals don't require 150 people. You'll see a lot of funds and a fund different. What I do, I have a property I show people. A fund is essentially, we're going to go out and find, let's just say, value add multifamily properties and the GTA. Well, that can range from 20 units to hundred units. You know what I mean? And, and so really an investor is investing in the team versus a property. I found it much easier to raise money for deals individually. And while I could probably raise more money because I know some of the doctors I deal with and professionals have RSP that's kind of locked up and they would like to put it in. It's, uh, it's just, and, and, and the cost to set that up is like, I mean, I've been told as much as $100,000. Maybe someone will reach out to me and say, Shane, you're wrong. It's 50000 or whatever. But but that's my understanding. And so I just haven't went down that road. Okay. Yeah, no, that's interesting because that's all like new to me as well. And yeah, uh, you know, thanks for thanks for helping clarify some of that stuff. So let's just say, you know, somebody on, on that's listening or me, I found find this awesome deal and it's like between like five and 15 mil, mm-hmm. you know, walk me through what I do next from... This, the time I take it, I get it under contract, and now I've got it under contract. How do I raise money? How does that all work and get pieced together? Yeah, well, I would say if you have not raised money and your first deal is going out looking at, say, a $5 million deal, I would say that you're probably setting yourself up for failure, just being straight up with you. I mean, the truth is 
you you should be building that network of investors uh, well before. So you're you're talking to them so they know what you're doing. You're educating. You understand. So let's assume you understand how to invest in commercial real estate. You find a deal because from the time you find a deal to the time that you uh, go unconditional, it's about 30 to 45 days. Now, that may sound like a lot of time, but if you've got to go out and raise money and you've never done that and you're trying to do due diligence and then you've got to line up your mortgage, like I don't want to overwhelm people, but you would be putting yourself into a position of extreme stress, I would say, because what I've seen people that have never raised money before, they think, okay, well, yeah, like this person said they're in for a hundred, but then when they actually go to get the check, <laughs> that's a different story, right? Cause there's no track record. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, well, actually show me the business plan. What's this? What's that? Where's the money going? So, I mean, I could kind of walk you through it, but what I kind of coach people to do is start building that foundation of understanding. I would probably go after smaller deals and a lot of it depends on who your network is. For you, you've got a big network. You've got a track record investing in residential real estate. If you come to me and you've never invested before, then you're probably better off to find a deal and bring it to someone and partner up with them that has a track record. It doesn't have to be me. It can be anybody, right? That has a, you know, not anybody, but it has to be someone that knows what they're doing and just go along for the ride, take a small percentage and learn the deal from the inside. Otherwise you're going to find it and then probably not do anything with it. Probably lose it. It could. Yeah. I mean, you're going to spend some money on like, I, I, it frustrates me when, when people are almost like so cheap that they try to do everything on their own. I don't know if you ever experienced this and, and maybe this isn't, this is probably like uh, the wrong thing to say. I don't even know if I want to go down this okay. road. But the podcast be as, as open as you want and as honest as you want. I've just seen where people that are kind of new to commercial real estate, they'll reach out to me and they'll try to get as much kind of free information as possible. And I put a lot out on my podcast and my book or whatever. And then I'll kind of watch them like they're just making like fundamental mistakes right from the get-go and you can only give someone so much, but as you know, like free information typically doesn't, doesn't get acted on I find. And, and, and so they'll take a little bit of it and then they go away. But because the process is so long that I, I think just unfortunately if the, if you don't, and it doesn't have to be a coach, it could be a good mentor, right? But just find someone that's been down the path, no different than in residential, no different than if you're trying to open up a business I think if you've got someone that can kind of lead you, it's just going to prevent a lot of mistakes. And so uh, I don't know if that, I know that kind of got a little bit off topic, but. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, because it's a great idea. If you have a great deal in a contract and you don't know what to do next, yeah, actually cut someone into the deal that's been doing it, that could probably help you raise all the money that you need and go from there. So, and it has to. That's how I got started. I basically was tasked to go out and find like, I found probably a hundred deals a week. Most of them are junk. I'd sit down, my father-in-law, we would go through them. We would narrow it down. Sometimes it was 10 deals, whatever it happened to be. And then eventually just doing that for years, I would get a small piece and then it just grew over time. Like I think people that maybe come into it with the mindset of like, I'm just going to make a million dollars in six months in commercial real estate because the numbers are so big. I mean, some people will do it and it's quite those are the stories that people like to talk about, but no one wants to talk about the three years that you kind of worked your ass off and made a little bit of money. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's it. I, you know, and I, I'm thinking like there's, there's something I saw that 
I don't know if it, so do you invest anywhere in Ontario or is it mostly just Calgary, Edmonton, that area? Well, we did 1150 acre development in Muskoka. Yeah. So we had um, Bonnie Lake Resort and then uh, uh, Shamrock Bay. We had those two resorts and we've sold out probably four years ago now, 15, I guess we sold out. Yeah. So I, I've been out there, but I haven't been back since because it's, it's a long, it's a long flight. It's not close. Not close. So what are your thoughts on, I mean, by the time this airs, it'll be gone anyways, but what's your thoughts on uh, retirement properties? So there's two right now on market in total, they're going for 4.4 mil numbers actually look pretty good, but it's a whole business, right? A whole business that you're, so I'm just curious, like that concept and that business, like would you do real estate where there's a business attached to it as well, or just real estate? Well, so your, your cap rate is going to be much higher. Because to your point, it is a business. When we bought those resorts, it was a business, it was a development, and it was real estate. We thought it was, I likened it to mobile homes, which is really real estate. But seniors, just like hotels, are a business combined with with the real estate. I think, so I would look at the numbers first, right? Like, do you know what the cap rate is or what the NOI is? Yeah, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll send it to you. Sure. Yeah. So- I would look at those numbers first. The biggest question I would ask is, who's my operator and how tied in are they? What I mean by that is, in my experience, if you are reliant on someone else to make you that money, you're in a very vulnerable situation. And so I learned that in Ontario where you know, I was very reliant on my sales manager and my salespeople and the operators. But fortunately, one of the operators was a limited partner and had a good amount of money in the deal. And so he wanted to see it successful and he was instrumental in the deal. So there's lots of different ways that you can kind of think about it and structure it, but I'm always looking at what, what can ha- like, what can go wrong in this deal? And, uh, and with a business like that, if you have no experience running a seniors, then who's your operator and do you have multiple choices, right? If you got to fire someone, can you bring in another operator and pick up where they left off? Yeah. That's how I look at it. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's definitely, to me, a good opportunity for the next 30, 40 years as baby boomers are aging and there's like a shortage of them. So I do have a background in nursing. I did a four year bachelor of science in nursing. So it's, you know, I mean, I haven't practiced since I left school, but it, it just came on the market and my realtor just for fun, she's like, Hey, are you interested in these retirement homes? And I'm like, well, maybe. So it's actually under contract right now for the next couple of days, but I think they're going to, they're going to back out financing reasons, I believe, but the numbers look pretty good. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. I, I'm not an expert at nursing homes or senior assisted. I know that there's like full service and partial service and like they have the different kind of levels in terms yeah. of how much care you would know all those kind of details. I would just kind of look into it. And I, the other thing I would look at is how much new supplies coming on the market, because I think that that, that was a trend in the kind of 05 to 12, 15, even where you saw a lot of people put, putting a lot of money into that. There was a podcast I actually just listened to. I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about kind of a mid market that is being underserved on, on uh, seniors. If I can find it, I'll send it to you. Yeah, I actually had a, it was Gene and Minnie Borino recently on my podcast. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they were in, this, in the States, but I mean, there's definitely yeah. some differences, but it's definitely an interesting concept. I'm just trying to think like, cause it's a business. I, I'll be in this business. <laughs> It's going to be time consuming too, but, but uh, no, it's, it's good to, to talk to somebody that's got, you know, I mean, you've got experience in many, many different types of, of commercial and, and a lot of people think commercial as multi-family residential, but you're like real, like commercial, commercial. 
Yeah, it's it it's uh, the reason. Look, I love multifamily, and I wish I could probably focus more on multi. But when I see like four and a half caps, and generally because there's there's so much capital chasing so few product, you're just seeing sellers that'll say, well, actually the NOI is this, but we're pricing it off of when you raise the rents. And so like the four and a half cap is based on a pro forma not even existing. And so it's just so difficult as an investor to make money. I mean, retail's out of favor. If you know what you're doing on industrial, you can do well. Medical office. I mean, I just think that having more broad skill set because this is what I do and I never want to force a deal. So if I want to sit on the sidelines for three years until multifamily kind of goes through the cycle or 10 years, who knows? Yeah, no, absolutely. Makes sense. Awesome. I mean, I could keep asking you so many questions and at some point we'll have to potentially get you to come down to the right club and speak because you've got tons of great information there. But the next part of the podcast is our lightning round. So Shane, I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You can give me the first that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready now. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Question number one, Shane, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? The favorite book would be the one by uh, Robert Kiyosaki, whatever it's called, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. What is your favorite podcast? The favorite podcast that I listen to, uh, I like Mike Dillard and I like uh, We Study Billionaires. Those are probably the two that I listen to the most. Awesome. I've been actually meaning to, to listen to the We Study Billionaires. It's a, it, it must be good. You're- it's really good. Yeah. You know what? I will say for a long time, I binged on Andy Frisella's MF CEO, but you know, I'm listening to it less and less now. Awesome. Okay. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate? For fun. So in the summer, I love mountain biking and uh, kind of playing with my kids. In the winter, I, I snowboard, although now my girls are skiing. So my wife's strongly encouraging me to take up skiing. So <laughs> Awesome. All right. Number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? I would probably 
Uh, that's a good question. I haven't uh, really thought about it. Okay, well, what I would do is I would go back and I'd probably be selling commercial real estate and I would start to build up those relationships and connections. I'd launch a podcast. I really get aggressive on social because I think that that, just seeing what it's done in terms of opening up your reach is incredible. So that's what I would, yeah. That's the skills that I have, so that's what I would use. But you know what, that's a great point. Like I have people be like, so how do you raise money? Or how did, you know, I'm like, I think it's different when you have a podcast because people come to you and because they hear you, they feel like they know you because they, they listen to you all the time. So, I mean, you guys, if there anyone raise money, starting a podcast is actually pretty good because people get to uh, get to really feel like they, they're part of your conversations. And I, I think I get like three or four per day people wanting to, to partner or invest or it's unbelievable, isn't it? I, I never expected that whatsoever. I had a completely different view of what podcasts would do. But I've had people say, Shane, I binge listened to 20 episodes of your show. And uh, I'd like to talk to you about investing in your next deal. Or can I do this? Or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I've never met them, but yet they, they feel that they know me. So yeah, yeah it's, it's huge. I, I think more people should be doing it. Absolutely. And it's pretty cool to see how many lives you're touching, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So number five, last question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? Well, I mean, if it's their last 50,000, I would probably not go into commercial real estate. Frankly, I would likely, I mean, you could, right? I I think that look, part of the reason I'm having a tough time with this is going to self sound self-serving, right? But I think that if you, if you build yourself foundation of understanding and knowing how to find deals, there's a lot of people that th- think of bird dogs or wholesalers in residential in commercial. I see guys that are doing six figures wholesaling opportunities because they're so good. Now it doesn't happen overnight. You need to know what to look for, but if you understand that, then that would be one Avenue because 50 grand in, in a deal is not going to get you very far, but you could tie it up. If you understand how to do the deals, you could do well. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was having a conversation recently with another investor and he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to start wholesaling these multifamily deals. Like same, same thing, right? Like the, the, the yeah. bigger, so. for sure. Yeah. I mean, if, if you've got a database and you're prepared to pick up the phone and just network with them and find someone that, that just wants to get out of the deal and you can match those people. Yeah. You got to be careful if you're just wholesaling, like you would probably want to put them under contract, not just because otherwise you're viewed as a real yeah. estate agent, right? Yeah, no, exactly. You got to get them under contract. And then you got to get the ball rolling because it costs a lot more money to get that rolling than uh, residential. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So that was the lightning round. So Shane, if uh, the listeners wanted to reach out and know more, where can they go? Probably the best is just my website, Shane Melanson, M-E-L-A-N-S-O-N.com. There you can find my, my, uh, yeah, all the stuff, my book, my videos, podcast, all that stuff. All right. And what's your podcast called? It's called The Investing Advantage. All right. Awesome. On iTunes? It's on iTunes and Stitcher and I'm not a podcast guy, probably a bunch of other places, maybe <laughs> like Google Play or whatever it's called. But yeah, I think it's on all those. Very cool. And what's your book called? It's called Club Syndication, How the Wealthy Raise Money and Invest in Commercial Real Estate. All right. Awesome. And is that on Amazon? You can get on Amazon or you could even just go to uh, clubsyndication.com and just download a free PDF or you can pay whatever it is, like $7 on Amazon. So one or the other. Okay. That's great. Any final last words of advice? You know, I think the only advice would be just to like, I've learned from my mistakes. And uh, I think the more you can listen to podcasts like this, other shows on investing, reading books, just really 
just really educating yourself. Like I, I see people jumping in too quickly and I think that's, I've made that mistake. And so if I can help someone avoid it, that, that would be my biggest thing. Because if I could take back the three investments that I wished I'd never made, I would, you know, I have a much nicer office to do this. in. <laughs> <laughs> All I see is a, a gray wall, but <laughs> I'm sure. You're yeah, right. you can. Yeah. My, it, it's a nice office. I know. I just kind of set this up as a nice as a backdrop. Nice, nice. Well, thank you so much, Shane, for all of your knowledge and sharing and really looking forward to connecting and potentially having you out to our club or a webinar in the future. And uh, thank you very much for your time. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but As I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest. 